we are three weeks in to our study on 1 Corinthians. And really, 1 Corinthians, you can have it, it kind of breaks up into two sections if you read through it. It's Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, he's writing a church that he planted in Corinth. The second part of his letter, he is um, addressing questions. It starts at about chapter 6. It's almost half of the book is addressing specific questions on relationships and, and, and stuff like that. And so what we're doing as a church is over the next couple of months, we're going to look at Paul's response to each of, the, each of those questions. So like for the month of February, we're going to look at what Paul says about marriage and relationships because it makes sense, right? You know, by the way, guys, Valentine's Day is coming, right? Be thinking, be thinking. I'm actually ahead of the game, guys. I've already got a babysitter. I'm taking my wife on a date today. What? Come on, son. Anyways, y'all didn't need to know that. Uh, but anyways, so he addresses, uh, he addresses some, uh, some specific questions. So we're going to take a couple months and look at his responses to those questions. But the first almost half of the book, he's addressing division in the church and the unity. And he, he like, he's like harping on and, and encouraging and appealing to the church to be unified. Because let's face it, we can't agree on anything. And so we're taking the month of January during our time of prayer and fasting, and we're saying, hey, church, not only should we come together to pray and fast at the beginning of the year, but let's just come together and be unified as a church. So that's what we're talking about. We are two weeks into the study of Paul's response and uh, plead for unity. Uh, Before we jump into it, I do want to acknowledge uh, we have Adrienne Bennett, who is here. You can stand up. Uh, She's here. She's running for U.S. Congress. And so... um, for District 2. So if you have questions or you'd like to, to talk to her, you'd like to meet her, uh, she will be in the lobby after the service. Make sure that you, uh, you swing by and any questions you might have, um, you can ask her. She'll be here to answer them. But let's talk about unity. Um, and I think now is a crucial time to be covering the topic of unity as a church because it's like we can't seem to agree on anything, right? Like never before have I seen our nation so so divided. Like, and, and what's crazy is you even see that division in the church. You see churches dividing left and right over things that are crazy, like not even over, over doctrine. And, and Paul addresses unity. Let me, let me prove it to you. Division. You guys ready? All right, so Starbucks or Dunkin'? Let me see you Starbucks people. Raise your hand. Come on, do it proud. I got mine up there. Amen. You guys love Jesus. I just want y'all to know that, okay? All right, let me see the Dunkin' people. Hold them up. Hold them up. All right, we're praying for y'all. <laughs> I got another one for you. How about this? Star Wars. Yes? Let me see the yes people. The yes people? Come on, yeah. Amen. Amen. Right? No people. Let me see them. Let me see them. My wife would be in that camp. There have been many long discussions in my home about Star Wars, right? Uh, how about, I got, I got another one for you. Jif. Is it Jif or is it Peter Pan? Let me see the Jif people. Choosy moms. Amen. Can you imagine, like, what a perfect ad campaign. Like, hey, if you want to be a choosy mom, you know. How about Peter Pan? Anybody go for Peter Pan? Is there anything else? Anybody Skippy? Skippy? Uh, (laughs) Mike's in the back. Yes! All All natural. You guys are the ones that have to stir it up before you eat it. That's just... uh, (laughs) Give me all the sugar I need on my peanut butter. Anyways, all right. But look, like, these are like fun things, but they show that we have these dividing opinions, and we're not even talking about the serious stuff of like morality or, or politics, stuff like that. Like, we're, not, we're just talking. We're having fun here. But, like, our country is divided. And whenever you see that division start to pop up in the church, 
it, it's that light that Jesus referred to. It seems like it gets darker and darker the more that we as a church divide over really things that, that in light of eternity don't, don't matter. And so we've been studying unity. And the verse that we're pulling from is from chapter 1. It's verse 10. I'm going to read it to you guys. And this is Paul writing to the church. So he's writing to us. And he says, hey, I appeal to you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live in harmony, which you're going to see this in a couple verses. Harmony, if you were, I like the NLT translation. If you flip over to other translations, they translate this as unity. It says, live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. And I love his last line here, this appeal. He says, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Guys, our church has a purpose. Our church, the the church has a purpose. There is a divided, broken world that needs to see the light of Jesus. And the more that we divide, Jesus said it himself. He said, a house divided will not stand. And the more that we divide, the less this will happen. In fact, I would say not only do we have a purpose, we also have an enemy. And that is why you see churches dividing over these, these minor things. Pastor Kirk's sermon last week, it was, it was I'm going to be honest with y'all, it was amazing, okay? And I know it was a snowstorm, so if you missed last week's sermon, Pastor Kirk talked about the three essentials that are crucial for churches to combine and unite over. And then he said, everything else, let's discuss it. Like, let's unite on this and discuss that. And, it was, and he had a saying in there that was gold. Like, it's tweetable. It's already in my, I, I have a, a running note where I put quotations in case I ever need to pull quotations. And I, he, this is already in there. He said last week, we need, as a church, we need to protect our unity as much as we protect our theology. Like, we have a purpose, guys. The world needs to know about Jesus and they need the light of Jesus to shine through us. And whenever they see us as divided as their broken homes, that is not appealing to the world. And so we need to protect, we need to, listen, we are in a fight. Come on, I'm about to preach somebody, right? Well, I missed first service, I'm already three cups of coffee in and I'm fasting. So ain't nothing going on but caffeine, all right? Listen, we need to fight to protect the unity of our church. Because I promise you, we have an enemy that's fighting to divide our church. And so that's why Paul appeals to the church in Corinth. He says, hey, guys, be unified because you have a purpose and you need to be unified and rallied around that purpose. And so as I was reading, so Pastor Kirk took two weeks to teach one chapter. I'm about to teach three chapters in about 22 minutes. So Put your seatbelt on. We're about to get going, okay? Go on and grab your notes out. And actually, in your notes, at the top of your notes, write chapters 2, 3, and 4. Those are the three chapters we're looking at. And I'm going to put some space between each of those because I'm going to give you a word for each of those chapters. Chapters 2, 3, and 4. And Paul writes this church, and he appeals to them and says, you need to be unified. And then he starts to address the cause of their division. And it's one word. And I would say it's the same word that is dividing churches today. And it's the word pride. He addresses the pride of the church in Corinth. And so today, I'm going to warn you, today's message is going to be a little heavy, all right? Not as heavy as the snow. Actually, the snow was pretty light this morning. I'm going to be honest. I was shoveling it and just throwing it. I felt like a beast, right? (laughs) 
By the way, you guys, y'all deserve, get yourself an extra cup, cup of coffee on me, okay? You guys shoveled and came out in the morning. That's, that's admirable. Anyways, but Paul's addressing their pride. And he's saying that your pride is causing you to be divided. And he's talking to the church and saying, like, you don't even realize it. You don't even realize you're being prideful. And that's the danger of pride is how deceptive it is. Like, I can be prideful and actually think I'm living a humble life in pride. Obadiah actually says, referencing pride, he says, you have been deceived by your own pride. Like, it is deceptive. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to check yourself real quick. Like, look in the mirror, and I'm going to show you a couple. See, pride is deceptive, but it does show its ugly, ugly hand every now and then. And I'm going to give you a couple tells for pride. I love, in First Peter, he talks about clothing yourself in things. And how many of y'all know when somebody is walking around in arrogance and pride, like, they don't even, sometimes they don't even need to say it. Like, you can just tell. Like, somebody clothes themselves in a coat. You can tell they're just wearing pride, wearing it on their sleeve. I got a couple for you. Critical spirit. Like, well, that's not how I would have done it. You know, critical spirit. How about self-deception? Everybody is telling me I need help, but they don't know. I got this under control. Comparison. Man, that pops up on Facebook more than anything else. Comparison. How about insecurity? Talking about insecurity, my wife, uh, Ruth, We've been married, this year will be 17 years. Yesterday I said it was 18, and she's like, do your math again, boy. <laughs> right. 17 years this year. And Ruth, uh, we were talking, and she said insecurity is just pride in a mask. Because what is, when you're prideful, what is the focus of your attention? It's you. It's yourself. Like when I'm prideful, I'm thinking about me, my abilities, you know, my shiny bald head or something, you know. And whenever you're insecure, what is the focus of your attention? It's still yourself. Insecurity is just pride in a mask. But I'm not going to teach about pride. What I want to teach about is how do we get back to unity? Because you see, pride has been dividing the kingdom of God since the beginning. And where pride has divided the kingdom, God has provided a way for us to restore unity. Because our goal is unity so that our light shines brighter, so that we can reach the state of Maine with the truth of Jesus. And so what is that restoring step? In fact, check me on this. You can write this down. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 talks about Satan's pride and how Satan's pride is what caused the kingdom of heaven to divide. It's called the I wills of pride. Isaiah 14. Pride has been dividing the kingdom of God. And while pride divides, God says, hey, I have a way to restore what pride has divided. And like in everything else, Jesus was our example, showing us how to restore unity. I'm going to show this to you. It's in Philippians chapter 2. This is one of my, Philippians 2 is one of my favorite chapters of Paul's epistles. And he says, he's talking about Jesus here. He says, though he was God, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up those privileges. He set them aside and he took the humble position of a slave, taking the humble position. See, where pride is dividing the church, and we're sitting there thinking, how can we get past this? Like, you can't unscramble eggs. How do we, how do we reunite as a church when we have become so divided? Jesus showed the way. 
Jesus showed the way for us to reunite the kingdom of God, and it's through humility, taking the humble position. I warned you guys, it's about to get heavy. I'm going to answer two questions today, and then we'll be done. The first question is, what does humility look like? What does humility look like? And the second question, why should I be humble? Like, you're going to tell me what it looks like, and then I'm going to think, why would I want to do that? I'm going to answer both of those questions today. First question, what does humility look like? C.S. Lewis, author of the Chronicles of Narnia and many other amazing Christian uh, theological, he was extremely philosophical. Uh, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Like, it's not, it's not false humility. You know, it's not, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not worth anything, you guys. No. I would actually say false humility is another, another ugly hand of pride, honestly. It's not false humility. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's following the example of Jesus and saying, hey, these are my privileges. These are my rights. But for the sake of someone else, I will set that aside. Like, I, I choose to not be heard for the sake of someone else. Humility says, you know what? It's worth it because I know there's a bigger purpose here. Humility, in fact, I would say this. I love in First Peter, Peter, this is what, what I was referring to. He says, clothe yourself in humility, which tells me that just like I can, I can see and I can read when someone's being prideful, I can also see and read when someone is living in humility. Like it shows, it's this, you just, you can tell there's a presence about them. And so if I was going to define humility in one word, I would say that humility is an attitude. It's an attitude that shows. And let me warn you, it's an attitude that nine times out of 10 has to be chosen. Like I have to choose that attitude over the way that I'm feeling, or I have to choose that attitude over the way I want to respond. But it is an attitude. And so Paul is coming to the church and he's saying, listen, you guys are divided. And in chapter two, he doesn't actually come out and say pride. But what he does do is he hits the sources of their pride. So Corinth, real quick history lesson. Actually, if you, I geek out over this stuff. Uh, Corinth, first uh, Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We lost his first letter. The reason we know it's his second letter is because in the book of first Corinthians, he references as I said in my prior letter to you. So he wrote a previous letter to the church in Corinth, and we've lost it. So technically speaking, 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians would actually be his third letter. But, you know, whatever. So we're going to go with 1 Corinthians. So Paul's writing, and in chapter 2, here's those three words. You ready? In chapter 2, Paul is addressing their pride in their, their wisdom, in their insight, like their intellect. He's addressing the Greek intellect. And if you know anything about Greek culture, they were extremely prideful in their, their philosophy. They were extremely prideful in, in the way that they reasoned, and which, which honestly, that really just means they were confusing, right? Like they're trying to think really deep. I took philosophy classes. I majored in math in college, and so you have to take a lot, study a lot of Greek culture because it pops up a lot in a lot of different fields of mathematics. And um, all it means is they were confusing, like overthinking things and then thinking like, I am an arrived being. I have insight that you have not yet achieved. And Paul comes to them and he says, listen, you think you've got it all figured out. Like you think my intellect is all that I need. And he says, but you're wrong. 
He says, for the sake of unity, I appeal to you to have a humble attitude. And a humble attitude, you ready? This is your first blank. A humble attitude says, I need not my intellect. I need the Holy Spirit. I need God's Spirit to reveal things to me. I need God's Spirit to call me on things. In fact, look at what he says in 1 Corinthians, right at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, rather than using clever or persuasive speeches, I relied on the Holy Spirit. I relied on the Holy Spirit. Now understand, their culture was very philosophical. So imagine Paul's pressure. Like Paul was an educated individual. He could have debated with each and every one of them and probably won all of the debates. Like he could have thrown the theological rhetoric that nobody knows how to spell, right? But, but he realized, if I win every argument here, but there is no Holy Spirit power revealing it to their heart, then I'm going to have a city of people that know about God, but don't actually know him. You understand what I'm saying? And so he said, listen, I don't care if I have a doctorate or if I didn't graduate high school. I need the Holy Spirit to speak the truth through me. Now, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit a lot through Corinthians. So as we study this book, it's going to pop up a lot. I've actually had discussions already with people in the church asking questions about the Holy Spirit, who is he? But basically speaking, if you think of yourself as a a three-part being, body, you know, body, mind, and spirit, body, soul, and spirit, your spirit, when the minute that you surrender your life and your soul to Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. That's why Paul, in the next chapter, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, go to that next slide, he says, don't you realize that you are the temple of God? And then he goes on to actually make the point, the Spirit of God now lives in you. Listen, we're going to finish this building. I know it doesn't seem like it. (laughs) We're going to finish this building. But this building is a building. You are the church. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is something to be said for having a place. Like, I pray over my house. And over my house, I say, God, I pray your Spirit dwells here. I pray that when people walk into my home, they sense peace They sense freedom, like let your spirit be in my home. But you want to know how you cultivate a home or a building that has the spirit of God? You listen to the spirit in every day. Like it comes from inside of you. Galatians chapter five, this is the same part. He has just talked about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. He's just said, hey, these are the things that prove you're a Christian. Not, not theology, not, not being able to recite the first 20 books of the Bible. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit shows that you have the Spirit of God in you. But listen to what he says. He says, you want to show people, you want to have a home that has the presence of God? He says, then you need to live by that Spirit now. He says, you need to follow that Spirit's leading in every part of your life. So the Holy Spirit has three primary roles in, in you, in your life right now, dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit has three primary roles. And we're not going to get into this. I'm just going to throw them at you. The first one is to correct you. The second one is to comfort you. And the third one is to counsel you. That's really the, whole, the Holy Spirit's job inside of you, is to correct you, comfort you, and counsel you. 
counsel right here, guys. This is, that's what 21 days of prayer and fasting is all about. You might not know this, but we are actually, today is starting the last week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Every year as a church, we say at the beginning of the year, we're going to pray, unite as a church and pray, and we're going to fast. We're fasting simply to tell our flesh no, because let's be honest, how often do we tell our flesh no, right? And so I'm going to pick something, and I'm going to, for 21 days, I'm going to tell myself no so that I can tell the Spirit yes more. So I just want to encourage you, if you are in 21 days of prayer and fasting with us, and you've been seeking God for something, and we're starting the last week, and you're like, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't gotten that answer yet. I want to encourage you, do not quit. Don't do it. Keep pushing. Keep asking. Paul actually dives a little bit deeper in listening to the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. I'm going to read this to you. He says, no one can know. So think about it. You have the Spirit of God. As a Christian, as a believer, you have the Spirit of God now living in you. Before you were a Christian, you had another Spirit living in you. That Spirit has now been evicted, and the Spirit of God now resides inside of you. And he says, no one can know a person's thoughts except that own person. Okay, that makes sense. Nobody knows what I'm thinking. Even though sometimes, I'm going to be honest, it seems like Ruth is reading my mind. Okay, I'm just going to say that right now. He says, no one can know God's thoughts except for God's own spirit. And then he kind of fleshes that out a little bit more. He says, we have received God's spirit. The world's spirit has now been evicted. It's not there anymore. That's why Galatians 5, I'm going to start listening to the spirit of God in every area of my life, because I've kicked out the other spirit, right? He says, the reason that we have God's spirit in us is to counsel. So now we can know what God wants. Like we can hear God's plans. We can hear God's will in that situation. So listen, we're starting week three today. If you're just getting here and you're like prayer and fasting, I didn't know that had already started. I'm going to challenge you. Jump in the water, baby. It's a lot warmer in there than it is outside, okay? Just start fasting. Say, I'm going to take this last week and I'm going to draw close to God for this last week. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell my flesh no. For seven days, I'm not going to watch Netflix. And whenever I feel like I should watch Netflix, I'm going to read my Bible. Or I'm going to put on some worship music. And I'm going to tell my flesh no so that I can hear the Spirit of God trying. I'm going to shut the world up so that I can hear the voice of God in that area. Amen. Keep pushing. Keep pressing in. Don't quit. I'm going to grab Mike's amen, and I'm going to keep preaching, even though he's the only one that likes what I said. <laughs> I do want to let you know, listen, uh, so for the last week of 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want to remind you our schedule here in Bangor, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 8. We are right here. We're praying over y'all's needs, y'all's prayer requests, praying over Pastor Kirk, praying over the worship team, which man, they came out on a snowy day and didn't they do an awesome job? That was awesome, right? Anyways, but we're here. We're praying from 7 to 8. Would love it if you can come and pray with us, even if you can just swing by for 10 minutes. Just come because we're stronger together. If you can't be here from 7 to 8, it would be awesome if wherever you are, you can, in the Spirit, unite with us and just pray with us. And then I also talked with people that said, well, what if I can't make it for this, but I do want to come and pray at church? We're opening from 8 to 2. We have worship music in here. It has been awesome. I've actually sniped a couple pictures because I'll come in here and someone, I have one of someone leaning right here, just praying, praying their heart out over this church, praying their heart out over the things they're seeking God on. So I I snuck up and I might have sniped a little picture of it. It's encouraging. You come in here and you just see people praying all day long. So just come and pray five minutes. If all you can do is pray five minutes, come pray an hour. 
If you feel like praying an hour, pray the whole time. We'll be here. We're ready. Keep pressing in. Next Saturday, we are ending our 21 days of prayer and fasting with a night of worship that I would love to invite all of you to. It starts at six o'clock. We're bringing our Old Town and Bangor campuses together right here to worship, to rejoice, and to thank God for, for the year he's giving us and for the answers that he has given us. It's going to be a lot of fun this night. Just so you know, moms and dads, we will have child care for nursery and toddlers, but we want preschool up to really see worship modeled. So bring them in with you, and we're going to worship together. Keep pushing in, all right? Anyway, so then Paul moves on to chapter three, and he starts addressing the second thing, like the second issue of pride that the church at Corinth had. And he, I'm going to read it to you, actually, in verse five. He looks at him, and he says, after all, who's Apollos? Pastor Kirk referenced Apollos. He was, he was another teacher. He was a contemporary to Paul, teaching the truth of Jesus. But he says, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We're only God's servants. Like, all that we did was what God told us to do. Listen, I'm going to reiterate it. The reason that we have an enemy that's trying to divide us is because God has given us something to do. And he's trying, how much time, think about it, how much time do we waste arguing about things that don't matter in light of eternity? How much time do we waste? Like, seriously. Like, I might win the argument, but they're still going to hell. <laughs> like, how much time? I love Dwight L. Moody has a, has a saying that is extremely sobering. He says, our greatest fear should not be that we fail. Like, it shouldn't be that we lost the argument. I couldn't give him the right verse. No, our greatest fear shouldn't be that we fail, but that we succeed at something that doesn't really matter in light of eternity. Like, I won the argument, but they're never going to talk to me again, you know? And that's what the church is doing in Corinth. And here's what chapter 3 was. They were prideful in their leaders. That's your word. They were prideful in their teachers. That was extreme Greek culture. Like, they would almost get to the point of deifying their teachers. Like, they would create whole schools of thought. Think, think like Socrates. You guys have heard of Socrates? Like it was that type of thing. They would create a whole school around an individual and they would almost deify them. And they were doing that to their preachers, to Paul and Apollos and Peter. And he's like, what are y'all doing? Like, look, he actually continues with his argument. I'm going to get back to 1 Corinthians. He says, okay, I planted the seed in your heart. I told you about Jesus. Apollos watered it. He showed you some verses or whatever, you know, that, that kind of strengthened your belief. He says, but it was God. Like, it, it's, it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's not about anything other than the Holy Spirit revealing it to their hearts. He says, okay, the one that planted the seed doesn't really matter. Somebody else could have done it. Like, God could have used someone else. The one who watered it doesn't really matter. God could use someone else. What matters is that God is the one that's making the difference. So, that levels the playing field. We are all, listen to me, look, I wish I could look you each in the eye. We are all difference makers, but not for us. We're all difference makers for God because we let God work through us. You understand what I'm saying? Like this is, so Paul says, for the sake of unity in your church, will you stop raising people to statuses? Forget that. And he says, for the sake of unity, will you grab onto a heart of humility and an attitude of humility, go to the next slide, an attitude of humility that says my purpose is about his purpose. Like my, the part that I play 
is part of a bigger thing that, that I'm, I'm filling. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like uh, humility says, now listen, again, false humility. False hum- I, I'm not saying I don't have a purpose. I don't have anything to do. I'm not a preacher. I can't play the guitar. You don't want me to sing, right? No. No, an attitude of humility says I have a purpose, but my purpose is not about me. That's the difference. I love Charles Spurgeon. He was a preacher in the 1800s. He said, humility is not to say I don't have a gift. Humility is to say I do have something to bring to the table, but it's not about me. I have to use it to glorify God. And that makes me think of our dream team. Guys, I got here early this morning because I wanted to make sure the walkways were clear, you know, and kind of walk around and make sure everything is good. And there were dream teamers. If you're new here, our dream team is anyone that volunteers or is on staff here with us partnered making a difference from small group leaders to our children's ministry, to our greeters, all of us. It's our dream team. And I got here this morning thinking I was going to open the doors and I was wrong because there were dream teamers that were volunteering their time that were here way before me. And so then I'm thinking, okay, I want to make sure everybody's okay, make sure their drives were safe. And look, I'm walking around to dream teamers and I'm like, hey, how was your drive? Are you okay? Do you need anything? And I, like, it was like, yeah, oh, we're good. We're here. Why wouldn't we be here? Like, just humbly coming forth and saying, hey, I've got something to bring. And listen to me. If you're on the dream team, listen to me. This wouldn't happen without you. It wouldn't. You have something to bring to the table. And I just want to personally, from the stage on a snowy Sunday, I want to say thank you for faithfully week in and week out coming and saying, I have something to bring and I will use it for something bigger than me. Thank you. And if you're sitting there thinking, dream team, what is he talking about? Come to Growth Track. I'll be there. You'll figure it all out. We'll help you figure out what you have to bring to the table because you have a gift. And let me just say it boldly. We need you to bring your gift. We need you because this would not happen without each of us unifying together. All right. Chapter four. It's the last one. Chapter four. And I'm going to give you the word for it. They were prideful about their stuff. It was a very prosperous city in Corinth very prosperous. And they were prideful about it. Like, we've earned this. This is our stuff. We've earned it. Economy, good. Politics, good. And they were very prideful about their stuff. And it was dividing their church. And Paul comes to him, and he starts chapter four with this plea. He says, so look at Apollos. Look at me as a servant. Like, that's it. A servant. And Paul says, hey, for the sake of unity in your church, whether you're the boss or the part-time employee or the volunteer or the leader or the follower, let's level it. We are all servants of Jesus Christ. And he says, for the sake of unity, will you take an attitude of humility that says, it's your last blank, I surrender. I surrender. Like it's that simple. Two words that nine times out of ten are the hardest thing to say. I surrender. And then Paul goes through it. He says, how about this? Would you surrender your reputation? Surrender my reputation. Like, God, you are my mirror. What you think about me. 
And he goes on, verses 3 to 4. He says, as for me, it matters little what people think of me. Like how they evaluate me doesn't really matter to me. Go to the next slide. And then he goes on to say, I don't even trust myself. Like how I see myself, I don't even trust my reputation in my own head. Because I might think, look at what he says, I might think I'm right, but that doesn't mean I'm right. I surrender my reputation to you, God. He says, what is important is the Lord. He will examine me. I surrender, God, you've seen my heart. You are my mirror. You point out anything in me. Just like, I will listen. I surrender. You don't want me to do that? Okay, I will. Uh, I'm going to leave that alone. You want me to do that? Okay, I will. Nothing is beneath me. Nothing is above me. I surrender it to you, Jesus. And then he goes on. He says, will you surrender your possessions? Like the things that you're holding so tightly to. Look at verse 7. He comes to him and he says, what do you have that God has not actually given you? See, this is tricky. Because God doesn't want you to surrender your possessions because he needs your stuff. He's, he's God. <laughs> he's got this, right? The problem, Jesus says it in Luke, the problem is when we have a better relationship with our stuff than we do with him. And so he says, hey, I don't want just your, I don't want just your tithe. I want you. All of it. You. Will you surrender? Could you imagine if I went to my wife on her anniversary and said, babe, I love you, all of me, except for the part of me that likes football. That part doesn't like you very much because you asked me to watch Hallmark when there's a football game on, right? By the way, LSU Tigers, baby. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) Actually, I wore this on purpose. I'm wearing it proud, all right? LSU Tigers. Anyways, all right. (laughs) Praise Jesus. (laughs) But he says, will you surrender? Just surrender your stuff. Like, Like, let me have it. I'm your God. Do you trust me to take care of you? Do you really trust me? And then the last one Paul says, will you surrender your rights? Surrender your rights. Your rights to be heard. Your rights for justice and vindication. Look at what he says in verse 11 to 13. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. He says, yet, even though we respond softly, We're treated like garbage. I don't know how long you've been following Jesus, but I can promise you this. At some point, you will get mistreated simply because you're a Christian. You might not get beaten like Paul, although that does happen in some parts of the world, but you might get fired. And God is saying, hey, for the sake of unity, church, for the sake of unity, will you humbly surrender your rights? And I was reading in my Bible actually this morning, so this is fresh off a quiet time with Jay, okay? Jay and, Jay and Jesus. And I was reading about Joseph this morning. And I was thinking, Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph? We've all seen The Prince of Egypt. DreamWorks, best movie of all time. I'm just going to say that. And Joseph sold into slavery because his brothers didn't like him. It was that simple. Sold into slavery. And you see him in slavery in Egypt. And in in chapter 39, it says, and God blessed him in slavery. Like in a situation where most people would have said, God, redeem me from this. Why are you putting me through this? And you read that God's blessing him in slavery, not taking him out of it, not letting his rights be heard, 
just blessing him. And I'm thinking, God, why? Like, why didn't you change his situation? Why is he let? And then he gets in slavery, he gets blamed for something and thrown in prison. So even worse. And now he finds himself in prison. And read it. Chapter 39 and 40. And it says, and God blessed him in prison. I'm thinking, God, why? First of all, he, this isn't right. And instead of vindicating him, you're just blessing him in the situation that he didn't bring on himself. And then I saw it in, verse, in chapter 41. Let me show this to you. Chapter 41, Pharaoh has a dream, and he's like, who can interpret this dream? Come to find out Joseph can. So they pull him out of prison. And so Joseph comes, and he comes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph says, that's right, it's about time, you know, recognize I've put in my dues. No. Joseph's first response, it's beyond me to do this. But God can. Just this attitude of humility. He doesn't say, hey, you put me in prison, and that was wrong. No. Humility. You want to know why God blessed him? Because Joseph was a man that surrendered his rights to God. And in what, I, want you, I want you to hear me, because some of you guys are in a situation at work, and you're thinking, God, when will this end? And I'm telling you, it's not right, and it's not fair. But if we will humbly, for the sake of unity, say, God, I surrender my rights to you, God can bless you in the middle of that situation. As we're closing, I want to answer the question, why? Because that's the hardest pill to swallow. Surrender my rights? Guys, as a church, we have a purpose. We have a calling. And if we want God to bless this building, and we want God to bless our Old Town building, and we want God to bless our Brewer campus, let me show you Psalms 133. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. NIV transfers, uh, translates harmony as unity. It says, okay, so it's awesome. Yeah, we want to live in unity. But look at the next verse. It says, for unity in the church with the believers. Unity is as precious as the anointing. Guys, listen. We can fill buildings. We've proven we can. Right? As a church, all of us, we can fill buildings. Like, people talk about how welcoming you guys are. People talk about how generous you guys are. But if we're not unified, we will not have this. And if we don't have this, we are succeeding at something that does not matter. We need this, which means we have to do this. So hear my appeal to you as a church. Let's be unified. Let's do it. And God will anoint us, and he'll bless Brewer. He'll bless the fourth campus. He'll bless the fifth campus. Because as a church, we say we are united we will not, we will fight for our unity as much as we'll fight for our theology. Let's pray, guys. Lord, we put our trust in you, put our hope in you. God, I don't know what's going on in each person here, but you do. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit that resides in each person in here would reveal and speak to them where they need to hear from you. I thank you that your spirit brings comfort and counsel. God, I pray you would unify our church, that as we have more and more campuses, 
we would settle into the fact that we are one church no matter how much distance separates us. You know, if you're here today and that that last point that said, I surrender, you realize you have never surrendered yourself to the power of Jesus Christ. I don't want to end today without giving you the chance to do so. And it's a heart decision that simply says, Jesus, I surrender. Please forgive my sin, my mistakes, my past. I give you my future. In Jesus' name, amen.